Super Bowl is coming, and we're looking back on a crazy week in Las Vegas. It's Friday, February 9th. I'm senior writer Owen Poindexter, and this is Front Office Sports Today. Yesterday, you heard Jim Nance talk about Brent Musburger and what a legend he is in the broadcasting industry. Musburger and Jimmy the Greek on NFL Today were the first national voices to make sports betting a part of their programming, but they had to do it sneakily. Our own Mike McCarthy caught up with Musburger himself to reflect on how far the NFL has come in embracing the industry it once shunned. Welcome, Mike. Great to be here, Owen. Yeah, great to have you. So you wrote a profile of Brent Musburger, original host of the NFL Today, along with Jimmy the Greek. What would this moment with the NFL having multiple betting partners and players doing events and casinos all over town, and of course, Super Bowl in Vegas, what would this look like through Musburger's eyes? He's stunned, quite frankly. And this is a guy who's seen it all in the business, who literally goes back to the 1960s. And back in the day, the NFL Today, Owen, was the first show to really address sports betting. But they had to do it in code. They had to speak in a little secret language. So Pete Rozelle, the NFL commissioner, head wouldn't explode. And here it is 40 years later, and the NFL, which led the fight against sports betting, is coming to Brent's adopted hometown of Las Vegas. He's He still can't wrap his head around it. Yeah. And what would that code look like and sound like? What would they actually say? Well, what happened is when they brought the Greek on, he was a streetwise handicapper. So instead of uh, quoting point spreads directly, the Chiefs are favored by five, the Greek would predict the final game score. He'd say, all right, uh, the Chiefs are going to win 20 to 10. So gamblers immediately recognize if he was saying if the favorite or the underdogs were going to be covering the spread by the final score. You know, Brent would be there with a wink and a nod. And, uh, and they go on their merry way. And in fact, the Greek segment became one of the most popular parts of the NFL today because gambling, as we all know, helped build the NFL. Uh, people love to gamble. And you have this great line in, or this little section of your story about the line, um, we, we are, you're looking live, um, and where you see the, the wide shot of the stadium. And that, I, I learned through your, your story, actually dates back to it has a gambling origin it's hilarious isn't it and everything goes back to gambling you know brent musburger's line you are looking live is one of the most famous in sports history but it actually has its origin in betting as you just said what happened is a friend of one of the showrunners liked to bet the over and unders and he told the showrunner why don't you go and give us viewers a quick shot of the the different fields so we can get a sense of the weather if it was the weather was good, or if it was the weather was bad. So that led to Brent saying, you are looking live at Soldier Field in Chicago where the weather is blah, blah, blah. And a tradition was born. Yeah, it's fascinating. Um, do we have a sense of how big sports betting was in the 70s and 80s when this was going on? Well, it was uh, huge even at the time, but it was all underground. You know, you had to do it through Tony Soprano uh, and, you know, Booby, bon, Booby Don, the, the bookie. Now it's, you know, come out into the open as this $100 billion business, but it was always big. And you could literally trace it back to the Super Bowl, uh, Super Bowl three, where the Baltimore Colts were installed as something like 18 and a half point favorites over the underdog Jets, really uh, brought sports betting out into the open because everybody was like, oh, I got to take this bet. And they all lost their shirt. And all of a sudden it became part of uh, the culture. 
Yeah. And so now, you know, sports betting has only been around in the U.S. a, a, a few years. The NFL has really only embraced it in the last few. How important is sports betting right now to the NFL? I think it's very important. It's particularly important because it helps them engage with younger consumers. Uh, all leagues are worried about a grain fan base, uh, a grain TV audience. And the NFL research indicates that the people who bet on uh, their games are younger and more technologically active. So it's very important for them to engage them to keep the younger fans coming in. And it also doesn't help that it's adding, you know, another couple of billions of dollars to their coffers. Uh, almost every team now has a sports betting deal. The league has a tri-exclusive sports betting deal with three uh, gambling operators. So there's a lot of money to be had. Yeah, absolutely. Well, um, yeah, and, and now all the more so with the Super Bowl in Vegas. Mike McCarthy, thanks so much for joining us. Thank you. The Chicago White Sox and Oakland A's are both going to be really bad on the field this year, but the Sox won the race for the first team to put out stadium renderings. Drawings from the firm Related Midwest show a sleek modern stadium with a wall of windows facing the Chicago River at a proposed location in the city's South Loop neighborhood. The renderings look very nice and show how the stadium would have both the river and Chicago's downtown high-rises in the background. They should not, however, be confused for an actual plan. The team and the city are still in talks, but they have to come to terms on a new stadium before any of this gets too serious, and if the Sox want public money, that's going to get tricky. Related Midwest envisions the stadium as the centerpiece of a massive $7 billion, 62-acre development called the 78, which is already in the works. According to the city's website, that's going to include 13 million square feet of new commercial, residential, and institutional construction, 12 acres of open space, a new train station, and a 20% affordable housing commitment for up to 10,000 residential units. The team's current home, which is further south, could be repurposed into a soccer stadium, perhaps to house the Chicago Fire, especially if the Chicago Bears proceed with their planned move to Arlington Heights. The Bears and the Fire currently share Soldier Field. The NBA had its first in-season tournament this year, as it took a page from European soccer by having a contest to supplement its regular season. Now they're taking a different page from the same book. Next year's tournament will be called the Emirates NBA Cup. The airline, run by the United Arab Emirates, will also have its name on a patch worn by NBA, WNBA, and G League referees. That name will be familiar to anyone with a passing interest in European soccer, because Emirates is also the shirt and stadium sponsor of Arsenal, as well as the shirt sponsor of Real Madrid, AC Milan, Lyon, and a handful of other teams. It's very possible that in European tournaments, there will be games where everyone on the field will be wearing a jersey that reads Emirates. The airline also has the naming rights to the FA Cup and has deals in tennis, golf, rugby, horse racing, cricket, cycling, and sailing. This is not the first time the NBA and UAE have done business. The league held exhibition games last year, and there may be more this year in the run-up to the Olympics. Any conversations around squeamishness in sports leagues taking money from the Middle East are pretty much over. Now it's just about how much these teams and leagues can cash in. Sticking with the NBA, Thursday's trade deadline saw some big names changing teams, including Patrick Beverly, who went from the 76ers to the Milwaukee Bucks. The deadline is, among other things, a race between NBA reporters, especially Shams Charania and Adrian Wojnarowski, to be the first to report the big names. In past years, players have complained about learning that they are traded when they see it on TV. With this one, however, the script was flipped. The Beverly trade was first reported by an intrepid reporter by the name of Patrick Beverly, when the news was tweeted from his podcast's account. Five minutes later, Shams and Woj also separately reported that Beverly was on the move, according to their sources, just in case you didn't believe the man himself. Up next, I got our entire team in Las Vegas together to reflect on their impressions and observations from this crazy week that is about so much more than a single game. That conversation is coming up next. Next. 
It's been a Super Bowl week like no other. Here to discuss is our entire team on the ground in Las Vegas. Uh, welcome to the show, senior reporter AJ Perez. How's it going? Senior writer Mike McCarthy. A pleasure. Freelance writer Dan Kaplan. Hey, how are you? And director of social media making his podcast debut, Mason Bergen. A pleasure to be here, Owen. Thanks for having me. Yeah, it's, it's you know, it's can't believe we haven't had you on already. Let's start with you, Mason. Uh, just give us a feel for the scene in Vegas. What's it been like just walking around on Super Bowl week? Yeah, it's unbelievable. Um, it's one of those things where you kind of ask yourself, how did Vegas and the Super Bowl not come together before? And obviously we know the answers to that, but it, it really, be, you can see it's apparent that it's a match made in heaven, um, honestly, where it's almost a city built for something like this where, you know, decently walkable, a, a billion things to do. As fans arrive, you can tell it's really going to be, it's going to become hectic. Um, but the stadium is beautiful. Legion is a beautiful stadium. Um, got to be there opening night. Uh, I saw 60,000 is going to be the smallest capacity of any Super Bowl so far, but I can tell you that the field is unbelievable. The atmosphere Opening night was loud. There were 23,000 fans at opening night on a week away from the Super Bowl, which kind of tells you what the actual game I feel like is going to be like. Uh, so, yeah, excited to see it. Radio Row is one of my favorite places to be in sports. You truly are just doing laps around a hotel conference room and you're turning your head and you're, oh, there's Puka Nakua and, oh, Baker Mayfield just walked past me. And, oh, wow, there's... Michael Penix and Roma Dunze and one of those things where you just get to be around and take it all in. Yeah, it's just been weird this year um, coming. Uh, yeah, it's like yesterday we're trying to find Jim McMahon. And like I had like all of us, including including Russ, our CFO, asking. I was like, if you see Jim McMahon, text me. I'm in the worker. I'll, I'll be ready. So we're like, you, you, you know they're there, the people you want to talk to sometimes. You just can't find them. It's just too big. You're wandering around. You're looking like, you know. So that's uh, – it's it, it can be a bit much on radio. It's an, and today's probably the biggest day. I think Mason Thursday would be the biggest. So that's that's going to get even more wild today. Yeah, and and Mike, things have been you know hectic enough that the, something finally managed to take your voice away. <laughs> well, what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. Uh, it's been exhausting, but it's been a lot of fun. Uh, we get a great reaction to our reporting, including your report. Uh, with Mayor Goodman, a uh, ton of feedback on that, Owen. And uh, like uh, Mason says, this, this place is lit. It seems to be built for a Super Bowl. My question is, do the people who really run Vegas, who are the casinos, want the Super Bowl? Because I know the NFL wants a Super Bowl because you have world-class entertainment, world-class hotels and restaurants. But do the casinos want all these people coming into town who don't uh, go for spit on the gambling tables and drive away the big whales. So that's a big question for me. Yeah, it's a, it's an interesting one because I mean, obviously that was an issue with with the Formula One Grand Prix. You know, when I talked to the mayor, she said it was great for the casinos. You know, hotels were you know the rates were really up. They're at full capacity. The small businesses hated it because you know people aren't aren't there to you know buy shoes or you know just do the the things you do when you're just around town. Um, what's that been like? Uh, and, and Dan, we'll bring you in here. Um, give us a sense of just like. You know uh, how Vegas has kind of absorbed the the impact of you know however many tens of thousands of people are there. 
Well, we're going to see that in the next couple of days when Super Bowl week hits its peak and Thursday night, Friday night, Saturday night. And I know before I came here, I talked to a number of uh, people who are here for Formula One and they described the pedestrian gridlock and that it was hard to get around. Uh, And then the the strip was closed, the street itself for the race. So that added to that problem. So we'll see what it looks like. Uh, I will say about the you know, is this good for Vegas or bad for Vegas? Uh, the the boosters, the people on the host committee, they said on a call with the U.S. Chamber of Commerce that the average visitor here is spending $1,500 more uh, on their trip than uh, than the typical week. Now, whether that's in the casinos at the slot tables, as Mike was in, in, saying, uh, inferring it wasn't, that's a that's a whole other question about who, who wants the Super Bowl and who doesn't. Yeah, and what is kind of the distribution of, of action? We we're saying, you know, offline, uh, like some places it's crazy. Some places you can just walk around and it's like you wouldn't even know there's a Super Bowl there. So, yeah, Mason, what's what's been your your, your kind of your feel for how this is all, um, you know, distributing itself over the city? Yeah, absolutely. It's all kind of one. I mean, the Strip is obviously a place for everyone to be. And there's, you know, a good chance where there are people on the Strip that, don't even necessarily know the Super Bowl is happening, or maybe they're just here. I will say that the connection between the Luxor, where the most of media are staying, and then Mandalay Bay, where everything is going on, is uh, you know everything's buzzing between the two the two places. I would say Mandalay Bay, you step into and you're immediately in a in a flood of people. You know you feel like you're almost at an NFL game. Um, where yesterday, again, it was Wednesday afternoon and I stepped out of radio row in the media center and you walk upstairs and there's just hordes of people walking down the hallway. Um, and there are things like the Super Bowl experience I think are going on at, at the Mandalay Bay uh, near the convention center and everything. Um, but that's where it feels like everyone's concentrated. Um, and then obviously we'll see people kind of congregate to the stadium in the next couple of days. And I did see where yesterday they, they said, do not come to the stadium if you don't have a ticket. They're telling you to stay away. There's not going to be tailgating for people if you don't have a ticket. Um, it's going to be something where they've got the entire perimeter of the the property blocked off to people unless you have a ticket, which, you know, are running for upwards of seven, six, seven thousand dollars. So AJ, you've been you've been chasing down. I imagine it's kind of hard to chase down stories amid the the masses. Um but uh, you've been reporting amid all this um, on some weird stuff going on with DraftKings. We actually hit this on the podcast recently, but they are currently trying to keep Michael Hermelin, an executive who went to Fanatics. Uh, it, the most recent reports are that they're trying to keep him out of the Super Bowl itself, where maybe he'd be going after some big clients. Yeah, uh, there's uh, there's like there's already been two filings. So he their lawsuit on that that we that we broke. Uh, late Monday night um, was DraftKings suing the new head of Fanatics VIP um, and uh, laid out a bunch of allegations, which he responded to yesterday, or sorry, on Wednesday, and said, yeah, they're all fake. The only thing, like literally the only thing that was truthful in the lawsuit was the fact that he took a job at Fanatics. Everything else that, that was in the lawsuit. And now it's become a little back and forth now between two, a big betting company like DraftKings and a big company overall fanatics who would still has a small share in sportsbook um they're trying to you know obviously <laughs> they bought points bet last year they're trying to expand out they have about 14 states now so um you know fewer than it's that's less than DraftKings and FanDuel have so they're trying to make a make a splash and they um fanatics is and i think <laughs> they're, they're getting a lot of publicity out of uh 
out of this guy they hired. Um, and uh, yeah, the legal fight that's still ongoing and it could, you know, could even have a temporary a t- temporary TRO, temporary restraining order hearing before the, the, maybe even today or tomorrow. So we'll see. How much are you feeling the presence of gambling and of sports books in the gambling capital of the United States? Well, to get to get from the media hotel to the media center, you got to walk through two casinos. There's three slot machines in Radio Row. Uh, it's it's everywhere. It's overwhelming. I mean, from the moment you get off the uh, the plane at the airport, you know the the gambling is just infused into everything. The slots, the sports books. The odds. Uh, I mean, it's if you're a gambler, it's your dream city. It's Nirvana. And, and does it feel like there's? I mean, you were saying that like the casinos aren't necessarily thrilled just because there's so many. It's sort of like the you know nobody goes there. It's too crowded phenomenon. Like, I, are you feeling that like they can actually cash in on this um, because there's so many people? There's you know they're throwing money around, um, or is it is it too much? That's what I heard from some Vegas business people yesterday that the casinos want gamblers. They want what's called whales, the high rollers who come in for a week and they hit the tables and they drop thousands, sometimes millions of dollars. They don't want Joe and Susie from Kansas City who coming in here and look for the best barbecue sandwich, you know, before they root for the Chiefs. You know what I mean? They don't go for spit at the tables. They don't gamble. They don't do any of that stuff. So I, I think you've got a real dichotomy this week between what the casinos want and what the NFL and the other businesses want. And Owen, Mike made the point to me last night, but these these buildings are designed like for you to get lost in. Like Mike and I are trying to navigate our way from the Luxor to Mandalay Bay, and and you literally do have to walk through two casinos. It's not a straight line. I compared it yesterday to the Lotus Casino in Percy Jackson, if you're familiar, where you get lost like in mythology, you get lost for, for days at a time if you eat the lotuses, but it's truly like that where you're walking through and it's almost this fever dream that you get lost in and you have to go through a maze to even just get from one place to another. So you can imagine that guests are, are you know, experiencing the same thing. Yeah. I'll give you a perfect example, Owen. Uh, Mason and I were at a party on the strip last night and I left and uh, it was at uh, the Paris Hotel and I called her an Uber. And I'm like, okay, you know, the Uber is going to be, you know, in parking lot one, level A. I had to walk through the entire property, casino floor, the little strip of restaurants, this lobby area. I mean, it literally took me like 20 minutes just to get the the Uber pickup. And as Mason said, it's all designed to get you lost, to lose track of time, and to just like hunker down somewhere and start spending. Um, before we go, let's just go around the horn real quick. Just give me one, you know, anecdote or just like you'd only see this in Vegas or you'd only see this at the Super Bowl or just something that stood out to you this week. Yeah, my big impression, Owen, is uh, I've got a whiplash from the NFL's 180 degree turn on betting. It's just so absurd and so ridiculous. You know what I mean? You know, for 20 years, oh, this is the scourge of the NFL. And then, you know, as Danny says, you go into the, the room, uh, the media room, and there's slot machines and a huge DraftKings stage and a huge FanDuel stage. So, I mean, they have uh, embraced the dark side completely. I'll put it this way. Um, it feels like the Super Bowl now more than ever has become just a massive marketing extravaganza around a football game uh, than ever to where 
it's just again a who's who of walking down the hallway and seeing Matt Ryan and Charles Davis and Jim Nance and again we were at the CBS Sports Presser on Tuesday I believe and I spent 10 to 15 minutes talking to Tom Kenny who's the voice of SpongeBob and we've gotten to the point where he's here and it's pretty unbelievable. I sat down last night with the Bussin' with the Boys podcast Taylor Lewan and Will Compton and a couple of their social media guys I'm friends with. And yesterday they played blackjack with Burt Kreischer, Jason Kelsey, and uh, Tom Segura. So it's just like, again, it's a a table of just unbelievable who's who of people um, and, and being able to be in the middle of that and, you know, for everyone to kind of be here around this football game is uh, pretty unbelievable. Yeah, right. And I guess Jason Kelsey can do that because he's retired. He doesn't have to worry about all the all the tripwires of the NFL yeah, rules. He's just, having, he's just having fun. Maybe not officially retired yet. You know, just they're just having a good time. And Dan, any thoughts on just, yeah, anything that's popped out to you this week? Well, I knew I wasn't in Kansas anymore when at the media party, uh, there was a dancing girl in a big glass box. Um, that that I've, I definitely haven't seen that at media Super Bowl media parties in the past. Yeah, yeah, that's that's not your average media room. Usually, you're just like, oh, they have catering. Like, all right, great. Like, this is a win. <laughs> um, all right, well, guys, thank you so much for for taking in the scene and and uh, joining the show. Dan Kaplan, AJ Perez, Mike McCarthy, Mason Bergen. Thanks so much for joining us. Thanks for having us. Helen. Thanks. A pleasure. That's it for today. Get your nachos ready because the big game is coming on Sunday. Hope you've enjoyed our coverage this week of everything going on in and around America's biggest annual sports event. May the best team win. And I like Mahomes as much as the next person, but may that team be the 49ers. Thanks for listening. We'll see you on Monday.